Holy God, I stand before you small. Small. And with a tongue that's tied and a heart that is, that is open wide, but at the same time realizes its deficiency, its insufficiency. Father, my prayer is simple tonight. Once again, use a donkey to speak truth to your servants and do so in a way that incontrovertibly proves your magnificence and sets your servant aside. And convict me. Convict us. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Numbers 3 records a story, the history of a people group that I think we have a lot to learn from. This people group was a privileged people group, and in fact, they had been given every reason in the world to stand out, to stand apart and above the generation in which they existed. But Numbers chapter 13 records an interesting situation where they simply, in my view, don't live up to their calling. This whole group of people, over a million in number, are, they have come through great tribulation, and here they are, camped at the very borders of the promised land. All that lies between them is one little Pinsley Jordan River. And Jordan River, uh, you know, a river might seem like a big deal, but remember, this is the same group of people that just crossed the Red Sea. So Jordan River is, is not a problem. For them. Numbers 13 uh, records the instruction given by God hey, take from the tribes one man from each tribe, a leader, one man to represent, if you will, the, the best, the bravest, the brightest of all these 12 tribes, send them into the land and see what they find. Have them look it over and see whether the promise given is, in fact, good. And so they do. Twelve men set out. They're anointed. They're sent on their journey. And they do. They, they explore the land. They find in that land, sure enough, a land flowing with milk and honey. A land where the, the, the livestock are prospering, where the crops are, are enormous. And they spend quite some time spies that they are. They spend quite some time dodging the inhabitants and looking the land over, and they return. And they return with good news. My Bible says that when they showed up, they said, it's true. The land is flowing with milk and honey. It's true. The crops are incredible. Look at these grapes. This bunch of grapes that it took two of us to haul back out here. It's true. The pasture is incredible. The livestock is incredible. But something else is true too. They went and came to Moses. This is verse 26 of Numbers 13. They went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel unto the wilderness of Paran and to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them and said, We came into the land whither thou sentest and surely it floweth with milk and honey. This is the fruit of it. Here's the proof. Nevertheless, 
The people are strong, but dwell in this land. And the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there, and the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites, they dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of the Jordan. Basically, everywhere you turn, there's another enemy. And they lifted up their voices and wept. All of them but two. Those two were idiot extremists. Those two among twelve, Caleb and Joshua by name, lifted up their voices. First, their jaws dropped open and, and because they'd seen the same thing that these other ten had seen. And their response is, Caleb stills the people before Moses, this is verse 30, and said, let us go up at once and possess it. For we are well able to overcome it. But the men that were with him, verse 31, said, We be not able to go up against these people, for they are stronger than we. And we brought an evil report into the land. And they brought an evil report into the land, which they had searched under the children of Israel, saying, This land, though we have gone to search it, is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. They're contradicting themselves majorly. Eateth up the inhabitants indeed. It is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw are men of great stature. And we saw giants, the sons of Anak, which come out of giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so were we, the, we, so were we in their sight too. Here we have the best of the best, the brightest, the bravest, the greatest, the representatives of the children of Israel. Suddenly, we can't. Here's the promise. We've come this far. We can't. There's no way. The sons of Anak live there, and in their sight, we're grasshoppers, and indeed, in our sight too. And Caleb and Joshua ripped, rent their clothes and ran in among the people who let up this great wail because they've toiled all this way. They've spent all this energy. They've spent all this faith to come to this point, and now it's all going to be for naught. Caleb and Joshua, we're told, ran in and out among the people, trying to cheer them, trying to bring them back to their senses, but the people were completely disconsolate. They were completely beside themselves. And in fact, so beside themselves that as Caleb and Joshua went in and out among them, trying to remind them, you guys, you guys, remember, we are Israel. We are the ones who God just brought over the, do you remember the Red Sea? Do you not remember the Red Sea? We were just right back there and remember the whole Egyptian army. They were there and in fact, before we even crossed, back up you guys, before we even crossed the Red Sea, when it was only sea in front of us and only army behind us, do you remember the wall of fire? Does no one remember the wall of fire? Does no one remember how Moses lifted up his staff and suddenly <clears throat> the sea just kind of bubbled and blew up and suddenly there's dry, not muddy ground, dry ground through the middle of the sea and the whole of them walked right through? Does anyone remember that when we got out the, the far end, Pharaoh's chariots were coming and then suddenly the dry ground turned to muddy ground and the chariots all were pulled right, the, the wheels, if I read my Bible correctly, they were just driving their chariots, right? dun 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 and the wheels fell off the chariots all at once. I would have loved to see. That would have been really, like, it would have been a tragic thing to see. But can you, I want you to try to picture this. Like this whole, it would be like, you know, major traffic jam in New York City. Well, actually, major traffic jams, they're not moving. But anyways, this traffic jam was moving. 
And all of a sudden, all the wheels on all the cars at the same moment, bink, and all the cars just This is what, are you remembering, you guys? Are you remembering when all the chariot wheels fell off at the same moment and they were dragging through the mud and then they abandoned and, and, and cut the harnesses loose and the whole army was drowned? Are you remembering? Are you remembering how we were hungry, thirsty? We got out on the far side and suddenly we woke up in the morning and there was this, this bread on the ground. Are you remembering that every morning it's been there? Are you remembering that when we were thirsty... Moses took his staff, tapped on the rock, and out of the rock came water. And I'm not talking drinking fountain. I'm talking a river. I'm talking millions of people and all of their cattle and sheep and goats drank of that water, and it was not used up. Are you remembering that we the people showed up at that spring called Mara and the whole thing was bitter when we were dying of thirst then too. The whole thing was bitter and he cut down this little thorny branch of a tree and he threw it in and suddenly, instantly, something happened to the water and it was good to drink. Are you remembering? Are you remembering that every time it's been time to go, this pillar of fire or this pillar of cloud has mysteriously lifted off of the sanctuary and the Levites have gotten right on and they've packed the whole thing up and the next day we're off and a few days later it stops and it just hovers and the Levites quick set up their sanctuary and it settles down again. Are you remembering that holy God has been with us every step of this way? And the ten spies and the children of Israel were so upset they wanted to stone them. They would have killed those two men had there not been some divine intervention. I can almost hear them in my mind's eye. You idiot. You fanatic. You extremist, you. Do you know what you're saying? You're beside yourself. Did you see the giants or did you not? Turns out Caleb and Joshua lived in a generation when giving 90% was normal. And when giving 99% was exemplary. But turns out, to give 100% in the generation of Caleb and Joshua was idiot extremism. Now, you and I all know how this story ended. Those children, those Israelites who'd come all this way, who'd sacrificed all these things, who had seen God work in so many signal ways, got all the way to the threshold of the promised land, and they turned around. They looped back and set their sights for Egypt. Now, they didn't make it all the way back to Egypt, but they got partway back. And then they turned around and they looped back towards the promised land. And then when they were right on the doorway again, 
they looped around. They kept getting to 99%, and then they turned their backs. I want to make a case today, tonight, for an old kind of crazy. An old kind of extremism, if you will. It's real simple. It's 100%. There's another way to say it, and that is, do not be satisfied. Do not be satisfied with watching God do amazing things all the way through the string of your life and coming to a place, yes, a place like this, a place like here, a time like tonight. Don't come all the way to this door to see the Jordan and turn around. Too many of us, far too many of us, including this one here, far too often, we're satisfied with 90% or 99% if we want to be completely awesome and out of the ordinary. What is the result, though? What is the result of getting almost all the way there? What was the result of getting almost out of the way there for that entire generation, save two men? The whole generation of adults, except for two men, Caleb and Joshua. What was the result of getting almost all the way there? Lost. Perished in the wilderness. When they could have just one little step. Do you remember how it was that the Jordan... Uh, the waters of the Jordan parted? One step. They touched the water. And boom, it was dry again. They were one step away from glory, and they turned around. Lost in the wilderness for the want of 1%. Why do we wander? Why do we wander? There are a lot of reasons, and of course I'm not going to go into them tonight. Um, you know where I'm going with this already, and I said that brevity was the mother of persuasion. I'm going to get, let the Holy Spirit do most of the talking. No, I'm going to hopefully let the Holy Spirit do all the talking. But I want to ask a couple questions. Why do we wander? Some of us wander because we love the world. I think of Lot's wife. Well, I think of Lot and his wife who made a long string of choices because they thought, mm, this place, this part of the valley, this is consistent with our lifestyle. This is consistent with our goals. This is consistent with who we want to be. So when they were given the choice, there or here, they said, mm, here, we'll go here. We'll go to the valley. We'll go to Sodom, and it'll be good, and we'll, we'll serve God, and we'll be faithful. But, you know, we'll, we'll take Sodom. So they did, and you also remember what that cost them. But... When the time had come for Sodom to go up in smoke, and the angels literally had to come drag them out, one in that party of four, that family of four, which was the only little piece of the whole extended family to actually allow themselves to be dragged out by angels, one in that party of four had a heart that was still turned behind her because of all she'd left behind. Now, let me ask you, what had she left behind? 
her children, and a house full of stuff. What was all of that going to be worth tomorrow? Nothing. It was going to be gone. But in her heart, she was still clinging. So she turned around. And then she never moved from that spot for the rest of however long a pillar of salt could stand. Why do we wander? Maybe because in our hearts we are still attached to yesterday. Still attached to what we think will, you know, support this lifestyle that we're, we're looking for. I know that the same was true for the Israelites because every time they got hungry or thirsty or, you know, found a reason to complain about anything, they often... <laughs> We had so many onions in Egypt. There's no onions here, and there's no fish, and there's no, you know, like, why did you bring us here? We should have died as slaves. Are you hearing that? Here's a free man going to chide his deliverer because you brought him out of slavery? I, I don't know if I, I mean, I, I shouldn't have to remind any of us that slavery in Egypt was just not a good life. Day after day after day, working in the sun, hotter than it is outside here, building pyramids and sphinxes? No, I don't think so. Would God, we had died in Egypt. These people aren't thinking straight. Why aren't they thinking straight, though? Because they love what's behind them, as crazy as that looks to us. And you know, I wonder if it isn't that way for heaven sometimes. Heaven bends down and looks at us, gathering together our little treasures and saying, look, I know I can have that or this, but this is consistent with my goals. This is where I want to end up in life. This is who I want to be. This is who I want to appear to the world. So I'm just going to stay over here, and I'm going to love Jesus and stuff from here. And that works until our foot is right next to Jordan. Why else? Fear of embarrassment. We wander sometimes because of love for the world. Other times, we wander because of fear of embarrassment. We think, hmm, I will go this far with God. But then, when it becomes inconvenient or shameful or embarrassing or some, for some other reason less than ideal for me to love God, for me to serve Him and live out His call for my life, that's where, Lord, that's where I draw the line because I am, after all, a U.S. citizen, and I live on planet Earth, and I'm a high school student, and I need friends, Lord. You know I need friends as a high school student. So let's not make this too weird. Let me ask you another question. Did Lot's wife save what she wanted by turning around? No. Has anyone ever found or saved what they wanted by grasping by holding. Has anyone ever been able to avoid embarrassment? I think you know what I'm trying to ask, and I'm looking for the words to ask it, but has anyone ever, by avoiding embarrassment, actually avoided it for the rest of their life? No. We often meet our fate on the road we take to avoid it. So we fear failure or we fear embarrassment, and so we avoid what actually would be our one deliverance. Or maybe we wander because we are avoiding pain, because it is inconvenient to be a follower of the Most High God on planet Earth, because it is not comfortable 
Let me ask you another question. Has anyone, just by sheer willpower of trying or by strategy or by any other human means, really been able to avoid pain on this earth at any time? You can try. Pain will catch up with you, though, here. Pain is the reality with which we live. So why do we spend our lives avoiding what we cannot beat except by running to Jesus? You know, the Israelites did this too. When they finally did get into the promised land, do you remember how how far they went? 99%. They didn't quite finish driving out the Amalekites. And I imagine it was because, oh, you guys, we have enough land now, and I'm just so tired of fighting. I'm so tired of swinging this sword. And you know, every battle is a risky procedure. I might, I've I've, I've a look, they handed out all this, this whole ranch. If I go out and fight the Amalekites tomorrow, they might kill me. I wouldn't be able to enjoy my ranch. Well, let the Amalekites be. Stay over there. I'll just stay on my ranch. And did the Israelites avoid pain by avoiding pain? No, not that either. They signed themselves up for generations of misery. Generations of war, generations more death. Because they didn't finish the job. So here it comes to us. You and I live in a generation where giving 90% is normal. I mean, among the furiously committed, 90% is the normal. And 99% is like the awesome people. I have three words for you. Which three words God has for me. Don't stop short. Don't stop short. Don't turn around at the Jordan. You know, the Jordan in Scripture is symbolizing, symbolizes many things, including baptism and death. And I think there it fits for us. We who have seen God work, who have seen the sea parted, who have seen manna come down. We have eaten it with our own mouths day after day after day. We who know that God is and is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We get 99%. And then we come to Jordan. And Jordan means death. And I don't want to die. And because I don't want to die... And there's only one other option, especially when Caleb and Joshua are standing to my right hand and my left saying, go, we are well able. Do you remember how God brought us here? I have two options. I go down and die or I turn around. Don't be a 90% Christian. Don't be a 99% Christian. 
Let's go. Let's just do it. Let's be crazy that way. Even if we are only two out of a million. The rest of our generation may wander. They may get all the way here, look the promises of God in the face, send forth spies that come back and say, yes, the promises are good. Yes, the land is flowing with milk and honey. Yes, it is all you've ever dreamed and more. But we can't. <laughs> no, we can't. We can't do that. It's not for us. And giants, giants in the land, everywhere, of the sea, by the river, in the mountains, in the plains. Can't. It's not for us. No. You guys, if the whole generation does that, I still want to go over. I still want to go over. I'm reminded of something I told some of these academy students a long time ago, once upon a time. It wasn't this year. It might have been two years ago when you Skyped me in for, um, for worship after I'd done a week of prayer down at Weimar Academy. And I'm reminded because God reminded me of it this week in pondering this story. Four words. This is what I want to leave with you tonight. Four words. This is your Jordan. When you are walking through a day in which you've already spent your time on your knees, you've already spent your time with your open Bible, you've given your heart and your life to God afresh, you're walking through your day, and then someone says something. This is your Jordan. Are you going to die, or are you going to turn around? This is where Christianity, you guys, if Christianity doesn't work right here, right on the line between the wilderness and the promised land, then Christianity is no good whatsoever. 99% Christianity is no better than the ones that drowned in the Red Sea. They both end in the same place. This is your Jordan. I would challenge you to ask God to remind you to put that picture in your mind next time someone says something. Or next time you see a test score that's not the test score you were looking for. And maybe it's at that moment that the devil leans over and whispers, you are clearly stupid. This is your Jordan. Now is when you die. Die to what my flesh, to what my heart, to what, what's inside me clamors and says, this is true, this is true, this is obvious, there's giants. Have you compared yourself to your giants? This is your Jordan. Put your foot in the water. The water will disappear. And yeah, you'll go down and you will die. We have to die. That's why we're on this journey. That's why we left Egypt. This is your Jordan. Tonight I want to make a case. I don't think that Caleb and Joshua 
should go down in history as the last of this kind of idiot extremists. I don't think that Caleb and Joshua should be the last men in history to have stood against a million, not a million crazy worldlings, a million of their own, a million of the ones that were raised the way they were, that, that are supposed to think the way they were, a million of the ones that have seen all the same providences, have sacrificed all the same things to come to this place. I don't think Caleb and Joshua should be the last of the idiot extremists. I think that now is the time for a new kind of crazy, a new kind of young person who stands up and says, 99% is not enough for me because 99% is still wilderness wandering and I want my promised land. I'm going to kneel down. I'm going to pray that prayer over myself. And I want you to pray that prayer over yourself. Just a few seconds of silence. And then I'll pray to close. And I hope this charge makes and keeps you uncomfortable. Even as I pray that it makes and keeps me uncomfortable until we're all where we ought to be. Until the promised land is under our feet and the wilderness is forever a memory and we're home. And we don't have to die anymore because ours is life everlasting. Let's pray. Ah, Lord God. How many, many times we have already gone around. How many, many times we have looked death, death to ourselves in the face and said, no, no, I, 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 I can't, I can't do that. How many, many times we have looked past, tried to look past death and seen the giants and said, there is no way. How many, many times we have failed to remember that those giants are actually the grasshoppers, that they're made of paper, that the slightest little rainstorm would melt them all away. How many, many times love for the world or fear or peer pressure or you name it, whatever it is, has caused us to turn around at the very gate of glory? And statistically, how many more times it'll happen? Lord, tonight I'm leaning on your mercy and claiming your promise to finish what you have begun. We have left Egypt behind us. Now let us cross over. Let us be Caleb and Joshua who raise our voices, run in amongst the rabble that is our generation who is turning their backs back into the wilderness from which we've just come. Let us be the one falling on our knees and pleading, grabbing by their coattails those that we love. But whatever the cost, let us not follow them. Let us, if they're gone or before they go, put our own feet in the Jordan 
cross over. And let this be the final note of triumph from this place as we go our separate ways. GYC West 2017. All the food that we have that we have partaken of, the spiritual food we have partaken of today, yesterday, the night before. Let it all come to this. Because all the food is great. It's a table set in the presence of our enemies. But let us now take and eat and go. And go. And let the gift be worthwhile on our account. Thank you so much for the work of the Holy Spirit to convict and to make us uncomfortable. Let him continue. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.